0: Hello there. Hello there. Welcome to Bible study TNT. Uh, as far as our teaching is concerned on this, this Thursday, we thank God for each and every one of you who uh, is joining us as far as Bible study is concerned. And we take wonderful delight in your sharing. I see people who are joining us online and want to thank you all for taking time out uh, to be with us as far as Bible study is concerned. So thank you so so very very much we want to today look at galatians chapter four verses one through seven galatians chapter four verses one through seven and we want to work through this particular passage of scripture as far as our time together is concerned galatians chapter four verses one through seven and uh let's prepare to go to the lord uh, in prayer as we prepare this time of study. God, we come and we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to study your word, to grow uh, in the grace and knowledge of who you are. Lord, we pray right now as we prepare to look at Galatians chapter four, that you will allow for this word to saturate our spirit. And we pray, God, that you will let this word be a lamp unto our feet and a lighter to our pathway. So, Lord, you, the master teacher, the uh, supreme rabbi, come and teach us your precepts. And as we learn of thee, we pray that we will have an open mind to understand, open eyes to see, open ears to hear, and an open spirit to glean and apply. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter four, starting at verse one. Uh, As we prepare to uh, go through this particular rendering, uh, Paul is doing something very unique as far as this time together is concerned. He's really dealing with what it means to be delivered as far as uh, the law is concerned and to really put the law in its proper place when it comes to the aspect of grace. And Paul, in this particular Setting is doing all that he can to argue against uh, the persons that were known as Judaizers. And I think that we've shared uh, before in, in many occasions that the Judaizers are persons, or Jews rather, who told the Gentiles that in order for you to be a really fully accepted Christian, that you had to be circumcised, especially if you were a male male. Paul is arguing, no, you don't, no, you don't. And so now we're getting ready to unpack how he brings about this argument from a use of of uh, legal terms and perspectives that hopefully and prayerfully we will be able to apply as far as our uh, walk with God is concerned. I, I, I would dare say, that what Paul is getting ready to deal with here, and hopefully I can unpack it in a way that we can all get it, is that he is dealing with an illustration that focuses on the guardianship of minors that introduces them to uh, what it means to inherit uh, certain things that come as far as a will is concerned. And Paul really is trying to let the Galatians know back then and inform us now that uh, when you're under the supervision of a guardian, you're no different than a slave uh, because you're not able to make significant decisions for yourself. So Paul is really going to be arguing how the Jews and the Gentiles were in a state of slavery before coming to Jesus Christ. What were they enslaved to? They were enslaved to the law. They were enslaved to the law. And so I want to uh, hopefully and prayerfully unpack this in a very meaningful way that uh, we will be able to appropriate and apply what it is that the Lord uh, would have for us to, to appreciate. So Galatians chapter four, uh, as I read it, I'm happy to highlight some words, circle some words, underline some words, um, draw some lines. Uh, this is kind of our preparatory work. Starting in verse one from the New King James Version of the word of God. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. I want you to highlight the word heir. I want you to highlight the word child. I want you to highlight the word slave. And I want you to highlight the word master. All right, verse two but it's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. And if you would circle the word guardian and stewards, if you would underline the phrase until the time appointed, and then if you would circle the word father. Verse three, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. If you would circle the word children, Underline the word in bondage. And I want you to highlight the phrase under the elements of the world. Verse four, which is the key verse for this whole section that we're gonna talk about today. But when the fullness of the time had come, and I want you to highlight that whole phrase, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. As a matter of fact, just highlight all of verse four. Verse five, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Highlight all of verse five. Verse four and five are gonna be critical verses as far as our conversation, as far as our teaching is concerned, okay? As we look at verse six, and because you are sons, God has sent forth, the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. If you would, underline the phrase, you are sons, um, and then highlight the phrase, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Then I want you to just circle the words, Abba, Father. Verse seven, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, highlight that phrase. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I want you to underline the phrase, an heir of God through Christ. All right. Got a lot of territory to cover. And even though I've only read verses one through seven, I could teach on these verses for at least two and a half hours, but I only got really, uh, <laughs> uh, I would say uh, at most um, 47 minutes to do what I need to do. So let's get to work. So when we look at verse one, now that I say I am, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. One of the things that I believe Paul is really trying to help us to appreciate is that there were people who were under the law who were relatively spiritually immature. And Paul is drilling in this level of how they knew the law but could not keep the law and how the law really kept them spiritually mature. so Paul is reminding those who are from Galatia who come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ that even though you are a child and you are an heir because you are under the law, you are no different than a slave. Okay, now there are some customs and 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 legal aspects of why Paul is saying and doing what he's doing because uh, in the ancient times there was this idea of coming of age, particularly for the male child, that was major as far as them coming into quote their own, and and it did not occur at a specific age such as like twelve or thirteen as it did among the Jews. And, and the Greeks, but rather the coming of age was determined by the father, okay? It was determined by the father. And it was during that event that the father formally would acknowledge that his son is now fully grown, okay? He would acknowledge his son and he would call him basically an heir. And the son would then receive this new robe or toga and start carrying out adult responsibilities. Now, what Paul wanted them to understand was that uh, while his son and heir was still a minor, not of age, he wasn't any better off because he had no rights. He didn't have any freedom. And although he's the future owner of the estate and is entitled to all that the father has, he had no claim to it and he couldn't make any decisions about it. So so according to Roman law, according to Roman law, this young heir was no different than a slave. Now it's interesting to note that Paul is really writing this from a Roman perspective. And why is Paul writing this from a Roman perspective? Real easy because Paul is a citizen of Rome. Even though he is a Jew, he is considered to be a citizen of Rome. And with him being a citizen of Rome, then he was able to write about certain things as far as that is concerned. I see Sister Brenda Irwin on live for Bible study. Forgive me for being excited about seeing her. Uh, uh, Sister Brenda Irwin had knee surgery yesterday. And uh, thank you for, for joining us. God bless your heart. She is at home recuperating. And uh, it's it's good to see you, bless your heart, uh, engage in in Bible study. So thank you so very much. Let me get back to teaching. Uh, I just got excited about that. So this future heir, this child is treated as a slave. Uh, This child is treated as one who has the capacity to in the future, make decisions but cannot because this person is treated like a slave because this person, watch this, lacks maturity. This person lacks maturity. Let me say that one more time. This person lacks maturity. All right? The the thing that we got to appreciate and understand is that even though this person lacks maturity, it is under the guardians and the stewards until the time appointed by the father. So what is happening is that the guardians and the stewards um, uh, were teaching the child what it meant to be grown. They were teaching the child uh, certain pedagogy. Now, I'm saying all this to, to, to say that you and I prior to coming to the saving faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were not under the law, but we were under sin. Sin was our master and God was in God's working, prompting us to come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. So when we look at verse two, verse two talks about, but it is under the guardians and the stewards until the time appointed by the father. And when we look at what Paul is talking about, as far as this is concerned, he focused on the legal rights and status of the son, who is the heir. So there, the reason why you have guardians And the reason why you have stewards uh, is that they serve two different roles. The guardians were the one who watched over the child. They were the pedagogy. They were the teachers of the child. They watched over the child. They taught the child certain things about uh, growing up. The stewards or trustees watched over the inheritance. Okay? So you have, that's why you have these two words, guardian and stewards guardians were the ones that watched over the child they taught the child the stewards or trustees watched over the inheritance that one day the child would get now so the guardians and the stewards if you follow the flow uh work together until the time appointed by who the father the father um And and this is very important for us to to understand that, of course, back during that time, they were in a relatively, well, very patriarchal society. So uh, uh, everything was basically done by the father. Now, this is what I'm really trying to drive home because Paul is trying to help us understand that the purpose of the law back then was to keep, us out of trouble and to discipline us while we were immature until God offered us maturity when we came to salvation by the grace of God. Okay. So that's what Paul is implying when he talks about the coming of age. And the coming of age is different for every son. So in Rome, the father was the one that set the time for the son to come of age and to come of uh, to become considered an adult, the interesting thing is that uh, those age differences uh, they weren't the same for each son. So if the father had two or three sons, then the father may have one son coming of age at maybe a like. 12 or 13, another son coming of age, maybe at 13, another son coming of age, maybe 15. But it was the father in Rome that set the time for the son's coming of age. Now, again, unfortunately, we're dealing with a very patriarchal society uh, at this particular time, particularly uh, under Roman law and custom, under Greek laws and customs, and under Jewish laws and customs. uh, It was... Very patriarchal. And unfortunately, there is nothing that is being said about women or young girls coming of age uh, that is expressed as far as the text is concerned. All right. So what I want to do is just for the sake of teaching and helping us to understand where we are as far as our walk with God for both men and women, I would dare say that there is a coming of age not only for men, but also for women. And I would dare say that if you take the concept of father in the text and you put in the aspect of God being our divine and heavenly parent, then God is the one that ultimately determines when we come of age by the acceptance of salvation through God's grace. So here's where I'm getting ready to really hopefully and prayerfully elicit, well, it elicits a shout for me. God is the one, God is the one that sets the time to terminate our guardianship under the law and make us children of God and heirs by faith. The date was the time of Christ coming into the world. Now, here's where the drill down really happens. And this is what I want you to get. You and I become mature Based on our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh-oh. That's that's a shout for me. You and I become mature. Based on our faith in Jesus Christ. So what faith does. It initiates the believer. Into a state of maturity. And airship. Which gives us full rights to claim our inheritance. This is the reason that Paul is writing this is because Paul is just blown away that the Galatians would want to go back to being under the law when Christ has given them freedom. In other words, they were behaving like children who have a major estate, but insisted on being in the role of a slave. Okay. They wanted to behave like children who had a major estate, got a big old house that you're inheriting, got a lot of land that you're inheriting, got a lot of wealth that you're inheriting, but you want to remain a slave. Now, how does this play out as far as our walk with God? Because I would contend that there is this thing of religious slavery. And religious slavery is when you and I try to please God through our works. And it's very difficult because it gives you a false sense of security. And so what winds up happening is that you get trapped in this cycle or you get stuck on the hamster wheel of trying to do good over and over and over and over and over, thinking that you're pleasing God by trying to do good over and over. And whenever you fail, you think that you're not pleasing God. You think you're going to gain freedom by getting on the hamster wheel of legalism and works. All right. So this is what happens with so many of us. And I'll admit there have been times I've been guilty of this that when we fall short of our expectations, what do we want to do? We want to try harder, we want to be more disciplined. But when we fail in this walk with God, as far as our Christianity is concerned, we got to apply grace, not renewed effort, as the means for becoming right again. In other words, you and I need to become more and more appreciative of the grace of God that is so abundant and operative as far as our lives are concerned. Now, this is what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to sin and fall short so you could get more grace. That ain't what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that when you and I mess up, when you and I fall short, when you and I sin, that uh, we need to learn how to appreciate the grace of God that is in our lives. And because we are exposed to the grace of God, that then ought to give us the lift to live right. Let me say it again. That ought to give us the lift to live right. Because we now have gone or put on Christ's robe of righteousness and because we have put on Christ's robe of righteousness you and I are made right with God not based on our righteousness but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ so when God looks at us God know we messed up from the flow up but God accepts us and justifies us as being right not based on anything we do, but based on what Jesus Christ has done. So when you know what grace is all about, it doesn't make you live right, it causes you to want to live right and to want to do right. When you really, really get it, when you really, really get it. In other words, it becomes a desire. All right? And I don't know about anybody else, But I would rather operate from the position of desire than from the position of duty. Ooh, I think I just said something. I would rather operate from the point of desire than from the position of duty. Because duty can become drudgery. Desire is passion. Okay? And when you understand how the grace of God is so abundant in your life, it makes you shift from doing things out of duty and obligation to doing things out of desire and ordinal. In other words, I give because not because I have to, but because I want to. I serve not because I have to, but because I want to. I treat folks kind not because I have to, but I want to. I love not because I have to, but I want to. I come to church not because I have to, but I want to. Uh, I give God worship and praise Not because I have to, but I want to. When I'm doing it based upon law, I do it out of duty. But when I do it based upon grace, I do it out of desire. And desire fuels the passion that then lets me operate from a position of purpose. And when that happens, even when I fall short, I get back up with a level of ease and alacrity. Why? Because I'm doing it from a position of desire that is predicated upon love. Love that God has for me as well as the love that God, I now have for God that spills over to the love that I should have for somebody else. I'm not trying to live like a slave. You should not be trying to live like a slave. Grace has allowed for us to be free from the drudgery of of being a slave to the law so that you and I can move with a sense of joy that is predicated upon desire and passion and purpose rather than just duty. Let me look at verse three. Let me look at verse three. Paul says, Even so we who, when we were children, were in bondage, being in bondage under the elements of the world. The elements of the world were the demonic agents that enslaved the Jews and the Gentiles. And only when the Jews and the Gentiles are released from this bondage, do they receive the promise of the covenant. Possibly the present age is evil because the elements of this world have tried to frustrate the plans of God. And here comes Jesus breaking down those barriers All right, now Paul of course and I've shared this before but I want to really drill down with this that when you're in a state of spiritual maturity you're a slave so Paul back then was talking about them being slaves or in bondage under the elements of the world he was talking to them as far as being enslaved to the law He's talking to us as far as being enslaved to sin. Paul alluded to slavery in order to show that before Jesus came and died on the cross, people were in bondage to whatever law or religion they chose to follow. Because they thought they could be saved by their deeds, they became enslaved to trying to do good and keep on failing, And so they kept on getting on that hamster wheel, trying to do good, trying to to make sure they dotted every I and crossed every T. Remember, the Jews had over 600 plus laws that they were expected to keep that were predicated upon the culture, that were predicated upon religion, and that was predicated upon uh, morals. All right, 600 some laws, depending on which uh, aspect you read anywhere between 613 616. And it was the understanding. This is what I want to drill down to you. It was the understanding that if you broke one of the law, you broke all of them. So if I keep all 10 commandments but I eat shrimp, if I were a Jew, I broke the law. I broke all 10 commandments as well as all the other 600 plus laws. That. That was the understanding. I don't know about anybody else, but I thank God that you and I are not under that restraint. Okay. All right. Let let me let me push through because I'm hoping to 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 get you to appreciate something. Paul says this, and, and I think this is going to be, for me, the crux of the matter, that when I get to verse four and five, we, we, we're going to uh, uh, really blow this thing out the water. But this is what Paul is saying. And, 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 and this is where I would dare say a lot of people. In the church, even today, in 2022, fall in the category. And I know some folks ain't going to like it, but I got to say it. When you are spiritually immature, you are a slave. Let me say that one more time. When you are spiritually in mature, you are a slave. And when you are a slave, you give in to your own thinking because you're under the perception that you got to engage in performance in order to achieve the love and the grace of God. So the problem is that the reason why many churches are in a the mess they're in is because you got a lot of people who have been baptized and are spiritually immature. And they are spiritually immature because they fail to number one, allow for the word of God to saturate their hearts. Number two, they have failed to allow for the Holy Spirit to become their helper and their teacher. They have failed to understand that the church does not exist for their consumeristic materialistic aspect of living. A lot of folks that come to church on Sunday morning are basically spiritually immature. And when you're spiritually immature, you are a slave, not to the law, but to bad thinking. To bad thinking. All right. So, in other words, so, so this, this is where I'm getting ready, because this is where the hammer's getting ready to come down. This is where the hammer's getting ready to come down. Let me say that one more time. This is where the hammer's getting ready to come down. So what winds up happening is you wind up being a carnal Christian. And when you are a carnal Christian, you are spiritually immature. Now, where did you get that idea from? Very easily. All you just got to do is read the Bible and properly apply it because Paul, Particularly, if I could make a quick shift, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he wrote to that church and he told that church, listen, y'all got all these gifts. Y'all overflowing in these gifts, but y'all are spiritually immature. Y'all still drinking milk when you should be eating meat. I can't even give you the deep things of God because you can't handle it. And since I can't give you the deep deep things of God, since you can't handle it because you are carnal Christians or you're worldly Christians, you're saved, but you ain't getting much of a reward. And that's when you can understand what the shift is, because I now, watch this, do the things that God will have for me to do, not to gain God's approval, but to get the inheritance that God has for. I'm saying, I, listen, I, I, listen. I got relationship, okay? Because because if there's an inheritance, then that means that the inheritance is passed down by the person who has the goods. So we look at this text. God is the one that got the goods. It's God's stuff. You and I are heirs to whatever God desires to give us. Ooh, this this is some good teaching. And whatever God desires to give us is predicated upon what we do for the sake of the kingdom. So I now don't work, don't serve, uh, don't give. I don't do that stuff trying to be a child of God because I'm already a child, but I do that stuff because I want the inheritance. I want the reward. I work for the reward. Okay? But my relationship with God ain't predicated upon my work. My relationship with God is predicated upon the fact that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my lord and savior and since i've accepted jesus christ as my lord and savior i am now in right relationship with god by because of jesus christ now this is where the rubber hits the road because i got to help you all understand that you got to be careful who you listen to and uh, uh uh online and who you listen to as far as the bible studies are concerned because for us as christians Jesus Christ is the way to God the Father. Jesus. not Buddha. Buddha ain't Jesus. Hinduism ain't Jesus. You can't be syncretizing stuff, mixing it mixing mixing uh, your faith with Jesus with, with, with some of this other stuff. It doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. Let me say that one more time. It doesn't work like that. Let's look at verse four and five. But when the fullness of the time, when the fullness of the time had come, when the fullness of the time had, had, had come, that 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 word, that word time is 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 a shout for Me, because that word time right here is chronos. It ain't Caros. It's chronos. In the fullness of time. In other words, at a particular day, in a particular week, in a particular month, in a particular year, in the fullness of time, of the time had come, God sent forth God's son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoptions as sons, okay? This is not Kairos time, all right? This is chronos. This is um, uh, uh, seconds, minutes, uh, hours, days, weeks, months, years, centuries. Millennia, eons. Okay, this is this is uh, uh, this is chronological. Now, 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 it's very important for us to understand because chronological time is very specific. Chronological time is. Uh, I want you to be uh, at a certain place at a certain day at a certain time. So, for example. If, if Pierre and I were to go out to uh, a nice restaurant, um, my thing would be, baby, we got reservations at a certain restaurant at seven o'clock on Friday, whatever. That's chronological, okay? All right, that's chronological. So here's what I want us to understand that every last one of us was enslaved to sin. But when you look at this word, but when the fullness of time had come, that word but means there's a shift that's getting ready to happen because God has given hope to the whole world that God's getting ready to step into history. When the fullness of time, of the time had come, God sent Jesus to the earth. Why did Jesus come when he did? I don't know. No, no theologian, no, we speculate, but we really don't know. All we know is that God said, All right, it's time. Jesus, this is how we're gonna flow. Now, can I just make some suggestions? Because when Jesus came, what was happening was the Roman Empire was running things. And because the Roman Empire was running things, uh, and they had a a, 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 a vast network that was known as the Roman Highway. That uh, the Roman Empire basically helped to spread the message of the gospel just by the mere fact of their infrastructure. All right. So you got wrong. Then you got the Greeks. The Greeks had provided a language that has spread across much of the known world. So even though Romans in charge, Greek language uh, was the predominant language, because guess what? New Testament is written in what? Greek not Latin. Its original language is what? Greek, not Latin. So you got Rome, you got Greek, the Rome, Romans had, had, had this, what was called Pax Romana or Roman peace throughout the, 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 the empire, uh, allow for travel to be done quicker and safer than it ever was before in the fullness of time. However, it was the Jews that would be the conduit of the Messiah, all right? So, so, so God knew how to allow for everything to fall into place. That's how the Lord works as far as the fullness of time. And I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but somebody needs to be able to express the mere fact that when God gets ready, to do something miraculous and major for you. It ain't predicated upon. Your time It's predicated upon when God says it's time to move. And when it's time to move, ain't nothing the devil in hell can do to stop it. He'll try to stop it, but ain't nothing the devil can do to stop it. Why? Because it's on God's time. It's inevitable. Timing is everything. All right, now, 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 check this out. Because Jesus was sent, it, it really means that Jesus existed before Jesus ever came into the world. How are you going to send something that does not exist? Teach Robert Charles Scott. The sending clarifies the relationship between God, the father, and God, the son. God, the father, lovingly sins, while God, the son, lovingly goes. All right, Born of a woman. It doesn't say come from a man and born of a woman. Born of a woman under the law. All right? So even when Jesus was born, Jesus was born to a woman that allowed for him to be fully human. He's fully God because he's set forth from God. He's fully human because he's born of Mary. And he's just like us because he was born under the law. So he voluntarily, being God, the one who created everything seen and unseen, the cosmos, all that stuff, subjected himself to the laws of universe and even to the laws of Moses, even though he was the one that created all that stuff. And even though he was the one that created everything seen and unseen, and even though our human rebellion caused creation to be marred, particularly here on the planet Earth, Jesus was a Jew. If you don't get nothing else, get this. Jesus was a Jew. Your Savior, my Savior, your Lord, my Lord was a Jew. Wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew. So you and I can't hate Jews because our Savior is a Jew. All right. Now, let me do a little teaching. Because with Jesus being a Jew, that means that Jesus, two things happened to Jesus. And all you got to do is read Luke 2. Two things happened to Jesus. Because Jesus was a Jew, he lived as a Jew. In keeping with this, Jesus was circumcised. All you got to do is read Luke 2. And he was taken to the temple on the eighth day. All right? And it it, it is through him that you and I Are redeemed and we are adopted into the family of God. Okay. In other words, Jesus already had existed within the Godhead. And he comes into our reality to redeem us to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive what the adoption as sons. That word redeem means to basically buy back. Redemption is the price paid to gain freedom for a slave. And Jesus is our redeemer because through Jesus' death, he paid the price to release us from being a slave to sin. So when Jesus redeemed those that were under the law, he didn't just redeem the Jew. He redeemed all who accept him as Lord and Savior. He took on the curse of the law that you and I, check this out, will become adopted as sons, which means that 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 God chose us because we chose Jesus. So, do you know what it means to be children of God? Do you know what it means to be heirs of 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 of, of God and joint heirs of Christ? Do, do you really know what that means? Let me let me just drop some stuff on you. Do, I, I mean, if if you don't get anything else, I, I want you. I want you. I I re I really want you. I really want you to appreciate what I'm getting ready to drop on you. Because you and I are heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ, we are no longer debtors. That means we're not cursed. Okay? So, so it's interesting when we hear from somebody we're breaking generational curse. No, Jesus did that at Calvary. <laughs> I think I just said something. Oh, I'm on the curse. No, Jesus broke that at Calvary. We're no longer debtors, we're not cursed. Okay. I'm doing, I'm teaching y'all better than y'all saying amen. If I'm if I'm breaking it down for you, put it in chat something. We got a new life. We got a new family. We have the Holy Spirit. We have been born again. We have the promise of a future resurrection of our bodies, which means you ain't gonna get no wings. You're gonna get a brand new body. We got a promise of a new place in the future. We're gonna be with Jesus forever, and we're gonna have the same special relationship with God that was only limited to Israel and you and I have the inestimable riches that are predestined for us by God through Jesus Christ. Do you know what you got rights to? Until Jesus had come, we could not never make ourselves acceptable to God, not through our good works, not through our religious rituals, but Christ brought us back and he freed us from the penalty of sin, which in verse six and seven, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer what? A slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir of God through Christ. Let me close this thing out. Here's really what Paul is saying. Because you are sons and daughters of God, start behaving that way. (laughs) Start acting like it. Stop being spiritually immature. Because this is what God has done. God sent the spirit of Jesus Christ into our hearts. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ in our hearts. Just as God has sent the son, so he has also sent the spirit. The spirit can't be earned. It can't be obtained as a reward for works. God gives the Holy Spirit as a gift. So the moment that you and I accept Jesus Christ for real as our Lord and Savior, we have the Spirit of Christ. And faith in Christ means that we have the Holy Spirit that is basically the same Holy Spirit that was with the disciples on the day of Pentecost, The same Holy Spirit gives gifts and graces to us. That same Holy Spirit provides us with the fruit of the Spirit so that we can live for God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives. In other words, words, just look at verse six. God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. Do you not see Trinity right there? God sent forth the spirit of his son, who's his son, Jesus Christ, into your what? Hearts. Into your hearts. And when we talk about heart, we ain't talking about this flesh that's beating. We're really talking about your mind, your, the the essence of who you are. Uh, No true sons or daughters ever lack the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present in every believer to give evidence that you're part of the family of God. And if you're part of the family of God, you have the right to call God Father. All right? Abba is the Aramaic word for Father. Okay? You're not a slave anymore. You're sons and daughters. If you're sons and daughters, you are heir of God, not on your own, but you and I are heirs of God because of Jesus Christ. All right. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and as I conclude this, you're not a slave. You're not a slave to any law. You're not a slave to any religious ritual. You, you ain't even a slave to the devil. Hallelujah. You have now entered God's family. God has adopted you. Do you know what it means to be adopted? To be adopted means you've been what? Chosen. And and, and adopted children under Roman law have more rights than the children who were born by blood. Why? Because the child was chosen by the parent. And so when you belong to God because you and I have been chosen, that means that we are heirs of God. And if you and I are heirs of God, we got the promise of the inheritance of eternal life and the riches and blessings to all his children. Can't nothing else be done. You're not a slave. You're a child. You're an heir. Heir of God. Joint heir with Christ. And so now that I'm a heir of God and I'm a joint heir with Christ, that because my salvation is secure, God has riches and blessings that God wants to give to us. And the riches and the blessings that God gives to us is predicated upon being the reward that God offers us When we serve and love him. So now I don't work to get saved. I don't go to church to get saved. I don't give my tithes and offerings to get saved. I don't serve in a ministry to get saved. I do all that stuff. Why? Because I am saved. I am saved. I'm saved, I'm free, you're saved, you're free. When you receive Jesus Christ, and this is what I close on, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God gives you everything you need to be fully saved. If you don't get nothing else, please get this. There is no such thing as being partially saved or one-fourth saved or three-fourths saved. Either you're saved or you ain't. You ain't got to work to get saved, but you do have to work for your reward. All right. I'm done. I'm done. We will uh, pick up uh, on uh, the lesson and and move forward. um, And we will look at verses 8 through 20 of Galatians chapter 4. All right, any questions before uh, I close out for the time that is ours? Any questions? Um, any questions? Any questions? All right. So let's close out in prayer. God, we thank you for the gift of your salvation and for the grace you have bestowed to us. And whatever we do, God, we do it not to get salvation, but because we are saved. And as we come right now, God, we pray that you will continue to uh, empower us to do the work that you have assigned our hands, heads, and hearts. Thank you, oh God, for your son, Jesus, for imputing his righteousness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen. One of the ways to, of course, demonstrate that you have a relationship with God, that, that you are saved is through your generosity and through your giving. You have a wonderful opportunity to give at St. Paul, even in this time of Bible study. And you can do that in one of three ways. You can uh, bring your gift uh, uh, to the church. Uh, just call church at 704-334-5309. Make sure someone is here to receive that offering. Or you can mail your check of money or to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. You can also give through ACS uh, or Church Life, uh, which is on our website. Or you can give through Givelify. Uh, And so if you feel led to give right now, we uh, offer you that opportunity to give, to give. And, And you don't give trying to get get salvation. You do that because, you know, you are saved. And and if you feel led to do that, uh, we encourage you to to do that. Listen, read verses 8 through 20 for next week, and we're going to see what the Lord will do as far as our time is concerned. Listen, God bless you all. Have a smile upon you. Take care and be blessed.